Today, we find ourselves in week two of this series called Spring Cleaning. Uh, this just taken this, this whole thing that we do in our culture, right, in the springtime and saying, why don't we ever do this with our actual lives? And more importantly, it's in the context of our soul. Now, that might seem like a really big deal to you when we say spring clean the soul, right? Or that might seem like a really deep thing. For me, the idea of a soul is something I learned from cartoons where like a cartoon character would die and this weird ghost thing would come out and float away. And I was like, that's a soul. That's what that is. And I just always had that in my head. And it's been amazing over time to learn what a soul is, especially because it, your Bibles use this word a lot. The New Testament uses this word a lot, and it's got a really specific understanding. And when we miss it, we miss something really, really beautiful. So if you joined us last week, you heard Glenn unpack that. If you didn't, uh, I'd love to unpack a little bit of it just to recap today. But it's this, the soul is something that's holy, it's something way more than simply a part of ourselves that's referring to, to the piece of us that, that, hap, that goes someplace after we die, so to speak. The soul is essentially something that every single one of us possesses. You have a soul. You should know this. Every one of us possesses this. And what a soul is, is it's like God's unique fingerprint on us in making us. That's maybe a really good way to think about this. The soul is the essence of who you are. It's what makes you, you. Now, in the New Testament, they had a really specific understanding of this, uh, and it's composed of three parts. It's your heart, it's your mind, and it's your spirit. But when you understand that the soul's like that, like God's fingerprint on you, it's what makes you, you, all of a sudden there's passages that get really deep that weren't that interesting before, maybe that we misunderstood at one point. Take one, for example, that people who don't even go to church can find themselves quoting, because it's, it's just been out there. Uh, it's when Jesus says, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his very soul, right? Now, I grew up hearing that what that means is what good is it for you to, become, to chase after all the things this world has to offer you and then ultimately go to hell? That's, that's how I heard that taught. But doesn't that kind of miss the point just a bit here when you think of what a soul is? I mean, it's not quite what it's getting at, is it? it more accurate way to look at it would be to say, what good is it if a man chases success and actually achieves it if he loses who God created him to be along the way? See, there's a depth of meaning and understanding in these passages when you start to grapple with this is what a soul really is. It is a really important thing. So in your Bibles, in the New Testament, from a Greek perspective, because the New Testament was written in Greek, uh, there's this understanding of the soul made of three components. Glenn talked about one last week. He talked about the heart as we seek to spring clean our hearts, so to speak. Your heart is seen as, the, as part of your soul. It is the place of your deepest desires and wants and deepest beliefs, the things you hold most true. Your heart serves almost like a compass for your life, right? So that, that's why the Bible can say, for out of the heart, the mouth speaks. The thing that you most believe to be true becomes reflected in the things that we, we often find ourselves saying, the second part of the soul is the spirit. This is the thing that makes you able to relate with God, want to relate with God. It's why human beings have this amazing gift in being made in his image where we find ourselves asking questions about deep meaning and truth and how do we relate to the God of the universe who made us and what does this all mean, right? You, are, you have spirit in the third part of the soul and this is the part we're gonna talk about today is the mind, the mind. It's the center of your thoughts, all the thoughts and things that occupy your mind and then the corresponding emotions that can sometimes result from those thoughts or that usually result from those thoughts. That's the mind. Now I wanna let you know, so I have a degree in Bible and theology and then I also have a degree in counseling. So I got real excited about the opportunity to talk with you guys about this. Part of it is because in churches, what we usually do is we're like, there's theology and then there's psychology. In churches, what we often do is like, 
There's, there's right doctrine and right belief and right behavior. And then there's all these other sciences that exist over here. And guys, can I just tell you, that's a problem. And the reason that becomes a problem is because it leaves us thinking there's a part of our lives that God doesn't exist in, that he's somehow not occupying. You are created by him with a soul. God made you as a soul creature, which means you have a mind. Your psychology is deeply embedded with theology. The things we think and how our mind works and all of this stuff is a huge part of what it means to be a creature created in the very image of God. This is a really important thing we get to talk about today. I'm excited about it. I had like six different sermons. You guys get to hear one of them because you don't need to sit here till tomorrow. Nobody wants that. So right now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to sit where you are and I want you to reflect on your own mind, on the part of your soul that is your actual mind right now. Just think about it for a second. Not like it's out there yours. And it could be in this very moment. It could also just be generally in this week, in this month, in this year. Think about your mind. Is it clear? Is it focused? You feel like it's purposed? Is it cluttered with a thousand thoughts, cares, and worries? Is there a lot going on in there? Is it filled with not just your voice and your thoughts, but the thoughts of all kinds of other people? Is it hard to make a decision? because there's so many opinions and cares and concerns that you have about what you do and how you will do it and what it'll mean, what all that is. Have you found yourself thinking, I just need something to numb my thoughts, right? All this stuff that's going on in my head, I just need something that can like put it away, like to make it go away or to make it quiet or make it just get out of here because it's too much. Have you had the thought, if I pay attention to what's actually going on in my mind, I don't think I'm gonna get out of that. I'll get stuck there. Or lastly, do you ever feel like you make so many decisions with other people in mind and other considerations in mind that you've actually lost what really matters to you and you're not even sure what it means to wrestle with the idea of who God created you to be? It's like your mind's just confusing and cluttered. See, God created us, each of us, as a soul creature. We all have souls, which means we have a mind. He made us with one great purpose, great intention in doing so. But sometimes as we seek to move forward in our lives, just part of living life is our minds become kind of cluttered. Like there's a lot of things in there. Like it's hard to make sense of all of that. And it can fill us with competing thoughts. The honest truth is there are moments where our minds could use a little spring cleaning. It's true. There are moments where our minds could use a little spring cleaning because sometimes we struggle with a cluttered mind. And I think that's why we're here. That's why we get to talk about this. And there's a lot of hope and goodness on the horizon for us with this. You know, the Bible talks about this really specifically in the book of Romans. It's written by a guy named Paul. He wrote this book called Romans. And in chapter 12, he he writes a, a verse about this. Now, chapter 12 happens to be the climactic chapter of Romans. If you follow his thought and his content all through this letter that he's writing, when he gets to 12, it's like the big emphasis. This is where it all kind of comes to a T. And Paul says, this is what I'm after. This is the thing here. And he talks about this in verse two of the most climactic chapter. And here's what he says, Romans 12, two. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And I'm gonna take a moment here together beginning of this message to break this passage down. I want to look at it with one another. I want us to see it really, really clearly. And so let's walk through it for just a second. First, Paul begins by saying, do not be conformed. He uses the word conform. 
Now, when you conform to something, what's happening is there's an outside influence. There's something outside of you, right? Not inside, outside. Something outside of you that is exerting a kind of pressure or that is, is, is putting some kind of expectation or something like that. And you so feel this that you start to mold and adapt to it. You become like the thing that exists outside of you, right? That's what it is to conform to something. And he says, do not be conformed to this world. That's what most of your Bibles will say. What's interesting is the word for world here, world here in the Greek, it's not here. The word cosmos, right? Which is the word from which we get the cosmos, right? It's not here. The word that's actually used here, better, more literally translated, it would say, do not be conformed to the age, that's what it would say. Do not be conformed to the age. So taking what we know about this very first part, let's paraphrase it for a moment. Or Paul's saying, don't conform to become a product of the times you're living in. Don't live your life in such a way where all the outside influences and everything else simply make you a product of whatever era it is that you're living in. This is an important lesson from history, right? You can look because becoming a product of the times can take you a long way in the wrong direction. We see this with Germany back in World War II. Very, very complicated. If all you can do is become a product of the times, you're capable of doing crazy things, really hard things. It's tough. Do not be conformed, right? To the, don't, do not just be a product of the age that you're in. And can we take a moment now and not just reflect on the past, but let's look at the times we're living in now when it talks about let's not be conformed to the product of the things that are just becoming a product of the things that are around us. Look at the age that we're living in now. Do you realize that as a culture, statistically, measurably, we are more stressed and worried and anxious than we have been in recent years? Most of you are like, yes, we live here. We know, right? But it's, it's statistically true. It's not just a feeling you have inside of you about like, I think my life's kind of weird. In general, statistically, we're more stressed, anxious, worried, a little more angry, a little more frustrated, even more sad than we statistically have been in a while. In January of this year, the American Psychological Association, the APA, they conducted a Harris poll and reported that 80% of the people they surveyed reported feeling at least one emotion, at least one negative emotion that's resulted from a period of prolonged stress. 80% of people acknowledge, I'm in a state of prolonged stress. And 80% of people acknowledge, and there's a negative emotion that's occurred as a result of that. The number one, 47% of people surveyed identified it as the, with the actual word anxiety said it's anxiety. And then the rest of the people, it was kind of split between anger and sadness, right? Resulting from all of this stress, from this prolonged state. Do you know in the last year, this is a big one I want you guys to hear. In the last year, more students have reported suicidal ideation than in recent years. And that's fascinating. And the reason that's so fascinating is because they've had less people in their lives to report it to, which means there's a lot of people we don't know about. That's a stat. That's, that's happening. That's a product of the age that we are in. And the prevalence of mental disorders, if we zoom out of this year and we just look at a bigger lens here, from, the, from 1990 to 2013, mental disorders worldwide increased by 50% on all of this. Now, I don't know what all of that means. I'm not here, that's just that. I'm not here to like tell you, and here's the meaning of all of that, and here's what you need to know, but here's what I can tell you. One pattern, friends, that should matter to each of us, that we could clearly identify here today is that we as people struggle to care for our minds, the part of our soul that is our minds. And consequently, that has a significant impact on us as people at large. It's tough. Some of us are like, yes, I know this personally. I know exactly what you're talking about right now. Others of us would say, yeah, there's somebody in my life. I care about this deeply. I get it. I feel that. I see it. 
This was a big enough deal, not just now, but in Romans, right? In the first century that Paul goes, in the most climactic chapters, I've been building this flow of thought. Let me drop this in on the second verse right here that all might know that like we need to renew our minds. We need to focus in on this. It was a huge chapter then. And I find myself going, that's crazy. Because you know what Paul had no idea about? Paul had no idea about news feeds. He had no idea about cell phones in our pockets. He had no idea about social media likes and dislikes. He had no idea what our elections and things would ultimately look like. He had no idea just about how family stress and things would look like in the year 2021. He, he didn't. And he writes this saying, man, this is really important. Verse two, climactic chapter right here. And I just wonder how much more for us, at the very least equivalent to, if not more, I would look at it and say, man, this is a really important passage for us here and now. So what did Paul tell us? He tells us what not to do. Do not just become a product of the age that you are in. Okay, so what do we do? And here's what he says. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. He uses the word transform. Unlike conformed, when you are transformed, it's something that occurs from the inside out. And in the end, you don't just adapt to look like something, someone else. You adapt in such a way that you become new and different. That something fundamentally changes within you. Not from the outside, but from the inside. And he says, so be transformed. And how do we become transformed? Look at the next part of the verse. By renewing our minds. By renewing our minds. There's this word, that soul word, right? The mind. You become transformed, friends, when you get back in touch with who God created you specifically to be as it pertains to all the things that are filling your mind, your thoughts, and all the corresponding emotions that come to result with that. Do you see why this is a really big deal? This is something we should be practicing in churches. This is something that we should be talking about in life in general. And then what's he say? That by testing you may discern what is the will of God for you. The word testing is not in this verse. You should know that. But the word discern isn't just the word for that you might decide. The word that's used there for discern in the Greek, it, it's this word that carries this idea of an understanding because you're testing it. Because you have this firsthand experience and you're experimenting with it and you're testing it and you're evaluating it so that you can look and more and more come to say, that's what I think is true. I've learned more about this and I understand it now. That's what it is to discern this thing. You know this firsthand. So we just walked through all the components of that. And now let me paraphrase it from start to finish to capture the big thought. If you've tuned out, tune back in and you'll get the gist. Here's what it is. Paul looks to me and he looks to you and he's essentially saying, don't just become a product of whatever age you are in. Be transformed from the inside out by paying attention to the part of your soul that is your mind. Make the choice to renew it. Get back in touch with who you think God made you to be and choose that. Test it. Try it. And as you do, you'll learn. And more and more, you will come to understand the best of what God has for you and your life. This is Romans 12 too. That's what he's getting at here. This is a huge thing. Doesn't that sound beautiful? Isn't there a part of that where you're like, yeah, that, I want that. <laughs> that sounds great. No, unfortunately, I wish I could just end here and we all nod our heads and we're like, yes. But isn't that hard? <laughs> right, if we're really honest, you're like, yeah, you just follow the path and you do this thing and that's what, no, no, it's hard. And we know this because our lives, take a survey and look at your own life. It's difficult. We struggle with this sometimes because too often in life, Life can make it really easy for us to clutter our minds. And so 
I actually want to spend the rest of our time here today talking about just one aspect of what clutters our minds. I'm going to acknowledge I had like four or five at one point. Like I said, way too long. So if this doesn't fit you specifically, that's okay. I'm sure there's something here where you're like, no, but I resonate in a different way. That's okay. But I think this might capture the bulk of us as we go to talk through this. And when we talk about it, I then want to talk about one way to renew your mind as a result that I've learned in the last couple of years. It's been immensely helpful to me and I hope it becomes helpful for you as well. But here's the first thing. A cluttered mind occurs when we have too many things competing for our attention. Might seem really obvious, but it's important. A cluttered mind occurs when we have too many things competing for our attention. I became a youth pastor when I was 19 years old. I was young and experienced, had no idea what I was doing, and I don't know why so many people trusted me with their kids, but they did. And on one particular day, uh, we took the, this youth group, I uh, was at a church out in Picture Rocks, we took them uh, on, a, on a trip, I did, uh, to go caving in Pepper Sauce Caves. We're gonna do that all day, then we're gonna drive home, and we're gonna have a barbecue and a pool party at the end of the night. Should be a blast. I couldn't get any parents to come on this thing with me because nobody wanted to crawl around in a dark cave and get all muddy. So I just called three friends of mine and was like, hey, will you drive some kids and chaperone and be a part of this? And they said, yes. Uh, and so we show up and there's 16 kids, three cars, me, two friends. We make our way out there. And as we get to Catalina, the town of Catalina, the car breaks down. One car breaks down and it's the largest car, the one that was holding the most kids. And I just thought, oh my goodness, I don't know what to do here. I have no idea how to fix it. Kids are looking at me going, wait, is this trip over? Do I have to call my parents now? Where are we going to eat? What are we going to do? My parents aren't even available. They're at work. I'm not sure what. And like, I'm sitting here going, I need everybody to chill out, go sit on a curb right? We'll figure this out. I didn't know how to figure it out. So finally I go, look, everybody just pile into these two cars, that Toyota Tercel with two doors and that four-door Honda Civic. All 16 of you plus two adults and me, let's get in the car. <laughs> we'll be safe and drive slow, guys. And we started driving up the mountain and I'm on our way. I made a phone call because I wanted somebody else to meet us up there so that every kid could have a seatbelt on the way home so that parents didn't murder me, Right? And so we get up to Pepper Sauce Cave and we start caving and it's a good time. I'm trying to lead all these kids that have never been through a cave and two friends who want to hurt all the other kids and all this stuff while we're in there uh, by doing dangerous stuff and all these things. And I'm trying to make it all work. And on the way out, one of the kids, he's a sixth grader, he slips in the mud and he falls and in doing so, he chucks his flashlight down a hole and it's irretrievable. And it's dark. You cannot see in a cave without a light. And he's freaking out. He's sobbing and crying and he has no flashlight. He is just stressed out of his mind and he's undone. And I can't de-escalate him. I don't know how to at the time. I don't know how to like talk him into keep moving. And finally I look, I'm like, what if I give you a piggyback ride? Will you come with us then? And he says, yes. And so he's about 160 pounds and I put him on my back and I'm grateful for a headlamp. And it's slippery as I go walking out of this cave. And at this point, I'm just trying to lead kids who've never been in a cave before out of a cave. I'm trying to carry a kid on my back. I am stressed. I'm exhausted. There are all of these things. I'm just hoping there's a ride waiting for us when we get out. And we finally get out of the cave and there's no one there. My friend who's coming to meet us to pick us up, he drove too fast and he slid off the mountain, lost control in the dirt, rolled his truck eight times, landed upside down in people's campsite, came crawling out and they took him to a hospital. He's okay. We didn't know that. There was just no car. And so I don't know what to do. And I have kids asking me and people ask, like my friends asking me and all this stuff. And so finally I just look and I go, I'm gonna take five of these kids. 
in my two-door Toyota Tercel, smallest car ever. It's like a clown car. I'm going to take five kids and me, and we're going to drive back to the house. I'll make a phone call. I'll send for help. You too. I look at the chaperone. Stay here with the kids, please. And when help comes, we'll work it out. And I promise it will come. I'll go get the barbecue and the stuff ready. It'll work out. We're going to do this. And so I drive back. I get home, and I'm kind of frantic. I call a friend. They're going to come. Everything's going to work out. I get home, and I open the door to the entryway to the house so we can start the barbecue and the pool party. And that was the day that my dog decided it would actively begin to die. We put my childhood dog down the next day. And as I walked in, I was greeted with the horrific sight of blood and feces up the walls of the entryway where my dog was just losing it. I know it's gross. It was gross. And so I frantically go, oh, I, I start cleaning this. And I've got kids going, when can we eat? Are we allowed to get in the pool? What are we supposed to do? Am I supposed to call my parents? I'm like, go outside. And I'm cleaning, and as I'm cleaning, I see headlights suddenly come shining up the driveway as the Honda Civic shows up 10 minutes after I get home. That shouldn't be a possibility. And I walk outside, and sure enough, it's the Honda Civic. And my two friends and 11 children come out of a four-door Honda Civic. Three of them came out of the trunk, and the guest, the new sixth grader, was sitting between the legs of the driver. And I was like, I am dead. Like, this is over. You could have killed everybody. And the kids are like, this was crazy. We're going to tell everybody. And I was like, of course you are. Oh my gosh. And my friends are looking at me going, what? What's the big deal? I don't understand why you're mad. Like, we got everybody here. Isn't this great? And I was like, no. And I'm sitting there trying to answer the questions of kids, trying to tell my friends why they're ridiculous and this wasn't okay, while also trying to figure out what to do with my dog, while also standing in that moment going, Am I going to resign tonight or get fired tomorrow? I don't know what to do. It's overwhelming, right? Life has a way sometimes of just hitting us. Sometimes it's in a moment like I just shared with you where it's all at one time in a single day. And sometimes it's a slow span of time where things just stack up and over time just stuff starts cluttering our minds and it's in there. And it can feel like all of these competing voices. It can feel like all this noise at the same time and you sit there going, I'm overwhelmed, I don't know what to do. And even if I knew what to do, I don't even know where to start or what to focus on. It's just, it's all of it at the same time. Sometimes it's because of problems around us that we're seeking to solve, right? What do I do with this assignment? Or what do I do with this issue with friends? Or this person in my life is hurting and I need to help them and I don't know what they need. Or I care about this thing that's blowing up in my family or my marriage or with these other people and I'm not sure what to do. Who's taking care of the kids? Is someone making dinner? Do I even have the ability to make dinner? Do I have what I need? Do I know what the recipe is? As I'm not even sure. What are people gonna eat? Everyone's really picky. And when and how will I fix that broken thing in our house or on our car or in my life? Is there enough money in our account? Did I pay that bill? People are getting frustrated and things aren't happening faster and I don't know how to move them fast enough. Life can be a lot, can it? A lot of things can hit us. That's just problems around us. You know, the other thing that we've found more and more recently is it's not always problems. Sometimes it's just the constant onslaught of information that we don't know how to process, right? Our phones are buzzing constantly and you take your phone out and you look at it and suddenly you are aware of all kinds of things. There was a crime here. There was a shooting there. There's a notification that says that one thing, if I stop eating this one thing, I won't die. And I don't know what the one thing is. If COVID is getting better, wait, COVID's getting worse. Wait, COVID's getting better again. Wait, nobody knows. This politician did this. This politician did that. Everybody's lying. Nobody's lying. Everything can hurt you. Wait, the people who said everything can hurt you are actually lying to you. And Bill on Facebook thinks you're stupid and a bad person and he needs you to respond immediately, right? And you're just like, 
I don't know what to do. It's a lot of things. And it all starts to clutter our minds in a way where you look at your own life and you're just like, I need to sit down. I need to go for a walk. I need to sit. Everybody get outside. (laughs) And it's hard, right? We all kind of know what it is to walk through this. This is part of the age that we're living in where all of those things take on the same volume, take on the same level of importance and become clutter in our brains. There's a story about this in the Bible. Jesus, he goes into a village at one point in time and finds a place to stay. It's with uh, two sisters named Mary and named Martha. It's found in John chapter 10. And Jesus goes to their house and Martha says, yeah, you can be a guest in my home, which is an amazing thing to do. But when you take Jesus in as a guest, you don't just take Jesus in as a guest because Jesus comes with a bunch of disciples and people with him. And so when it says that Martha took him into her home, it's like Martha took this small army into her home. And what we have to understand is that this is an Eastern collectivist culture that had an enormous value on hospitality. And so when you took somebody in as your guest, you not only needed to care for their needs, make sure there was space for them, but you needed to feed them. And you never just are like, here's some crackers and some cheese. It's course after course. You pull out your best whenever somebody, like, and you just go through all of it. You don't even worry about how tomorrow's gonna make this work. You, you just make it happen. Because if you didn't, you shamed you and your household and you deeply insulted everybody that was a guest in your home. You had to do this. Martha's trying to take care of all of this stuff and she's getting a little freaked out. And Jesus is sitting there and Martha's sister Mary is sitting in front of Jesus and Martha walks over, John chapter 10, verse 40. It says, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And I think sarcastically, you think? Of course she was. This is crazy. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister's left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. And Jesus replied, here's his reply, Martha, Martha, in the repetition of these two things, you hear fondness and you hear kindness. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but only one thing is necessary. This passage often gets used to talk about valuing people over problems, right? Over tasks, so to speak. I've heard this passage preached to groups of women about like how you can become like a Martha instead of a Mary or something like this. But often what we miss is the point we miss is in the historical context. The thing that gets overlooked is that if Martha doesn't make and serve food and take care of all these things for these people, she is shaming herself and her household and insulting everyone else there. It is a giant statement to make. Not in her head, in life. It's true. This is how this will go. And do you know who knows that? Jesus. He knows this, right? When Jesus looks, he's not just saying, Martha, come on, chill out. Why are you being such a worry ward? Just relax and join the party. It's it's not this. When Jesus looks in this particular moment, what he's saying is, Martha, Martha, sign of care, concern. You are anxious and troubled about what? Many things. He's telling her, your worries and your stress, all the clutter and things that are in your mind, it's all hitting you at the same level. Everything's at that same level of care. Everything's like at full volume and it's all hitting you all at once. Your worries and your stresses are cluttering your mind and you're overwhelmed because everything seems equally important and you're losing what God has as most important for you. And then he looks and he points at Mary and he goes, see, Mary's chosen the thing that's most important to her. And you can look, it's, you can look and say, so Martha, go sit at Jesus' feet. It may be more likely it's Jesus going, no, Martha, what's most important to you? What is it for you? Because we lose these things when they're in the midst of stresses and anxiety. We lose these things when we're wrestling with all the other stuff. Friends, when you think of all the thoughts and all the information and all the stuff that occupies your mind, What's most important to you? 
When you think of all the, with all the stuff that's in there, or when you just look at your life right now and the thoughts that are most important to you, what you want your mind to be filled with, what do you think God has for you? Right, Romans 12, two is about, we renew our minds so that we can discern the will of God for our lives. What do you think that is for you? How has he made you? What's in your soul, so to speak? Some of us can sit there and be like, I think I have an answer to that question. Others are like, I don't know where to begin. If you don't know where to begin, I wanna illustrate why. I wanna articulate why. And I want everybody to repeat after me. I'm gonna say something, I want you to repeat it. Ready? Seven plus or minus two. Mm-hmm. I know that seemed like nonsense, didn't it? Seven plus or minus two is the number of things that the average person can hold in their short-term memory bank. This comes from a study from the 1950s uh, by a guy named George Miller, and it holds water today. It's a really important thing. Seven plus or minus two. That means that the best of us who are capable of holding a lot of complexity can hold up to nine things in our mind at any one point in time. And that's like, you're doing awesome. Some of us who struggle with that can hold five. On average, as human beings, we hold about seven. If you sit here and you're like, I can think of like 12 right now. I go, yeah, and that's why you're so stressed out. <laughs> that's why it's real hard. That's why it feels chaotic and cluttered and you're not sure what to do with it. Exactly, yes, that. I want you to imagine your mind right now like it's a hallway. Your mind, it's not everybody's mind, your mind specifically, like it's a hallway and you're standing in the middle of that hallway. On one side are three doors and on another side are four, seven in total. And for just a moment, imagine every door shut and that that hallway is quiet. You're alone in the hallway. And now take a moment and think about the things that currently or have been or will preoccupy your mind. Is it a project at work? Is it a situation you're facing with a friend or a family member or conflict in people you're close to? Maybe it's what you're planning on making for dinner or who's gonna make it or how it's even gonna happen. Seems to be a thing. Is it a personal problem you're wrestling with? Is it the needs of someone in your life that you're trying to meet and don't know how? Is it a favor or a task that you promise you complete but you haven't yet? Is it something around the house that still needs to get done or something that needs to get repaired or something in your life that still needs to be worked on because it's impacting you and you haven't gotten to it yet? Is it a post on social media that you can't seem to let go of? Is it the last thing that you read on your news feed? Or, you know, especially if you're younger, is it how many likes the last post got and why nobody liked the one before it and what you'll do about that in the next time? What is it for you? See, is it any of those things? Is it all of those things? The reason I ask you this is if at any point in time you were like, there's one, I want you to imagine you're standing in the center of that hallway that is your mind and all of a sudden one door flies open. And if it was two, then two. And if it was three, then three. And four, then four. Five, then five. All the way up to seven. You can go as far as you want here, right? Now, what do you know about living in a home, an office, going to school or whatever in our normal lives? If you're standing in a place where there's a lot going on inside a room and the door's wide open, what flows out? Noise, right? Noise. You may as well be standing in the room if you're standing in the hallway most of the time. See, what happens is when we stand in the hallway that is our minds with only being able to hold about seven of these things and all those doors open up, I want you to imagine all seven doors open. I want you to imagine all the noise that's coming out of all seven of those as you stand in the center of all of that and it's hitting you at the same volume with the same clutter and the same clamor all at once. How do you feel? Anxious, worried, overwhelmed, 
stressed, whatever words that you want to use there. If you can wrap your head around that, then you have a really good understanding of what a person who's constantly stressed out feels like or what a person who's battling anxiety is actually going through. It hits us in these ways. It's a lot to handle. It can become a lot of noise. Try to add one more thing in that moment and it starts to get ugly, doesn't it? It becomes really, really difficult. Friends, if you want to begin to renew your mind, start by closing doors. This is what I mean. If you want to begin renewing your mind, start by closing doors. I wish that when Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse two, had said, renew your mind, he would be like, and here's the five-step process that you take. He doesn't. There's other places and things where it's, there's some places where people say, well, meditate on scripture. You know what's really hard about meditating on scripture? When all seven doors are open, where does that information go? It's a super important practice, but it's hard. Some of us, in order to start to renew our minds, we have to start by closing doors. And I want to tell you how to do that. A professor who shared this as an illustration with me at one point in time shared, she goes, so here's how you do that. If you want to close a door in your life so that you can quiet the hallway that is your mind, he goes, a door will close when you either figure out or solve the thing that you are preoccupied with. I heard that and I laughed out loud. I did. I know that's a little disrespectful, but it just seemed ridiculous to me. And then I kind of sarcastically looked at him and I said, so what you're saying is I just need to solve all the things, figure all the things out so that they're not problems anymore because I work them out and then it all goes away. Noted. If I knew how to do that, I wouldn't be standing here. Do you know what I mean? If I, there's all these moments in time where I don't know how to do that. I don't know what the solution to these moments are. I don't know how to, how to wrestle with that. I'm confused. And that's why I was really grateful to hear that there's a second way to close the door. And he goes, but there's another way. If you don't know what to do with whatever those things are, then make a plan for when you will address it. I know this sounds really simple, but it's, I promise if you practice this in your life, it's profound. Let me give you this example. Every time I go to preach, I get a little stressed out, a little more stressed in my week than normal. And the reason why is because there's like a normal work week of being an associate pastor around a church. And then when you go to teach, there's like an additional 12 to 14 hours, probably minimum for, for me to like, just think about how to talk to you all up here. So I'm not just standing, staring weirdly into your eyes, right? And there's study involved and there's all this stuff that goes with that. And so last Sunday night, it's the end of my night and all of a sudden door wide open in the hallway that is my brain is it's like, what are you gonna do? How are you gonna figure this out? What are you gonna say? How's this gonna work with the sermon? You just heard what Glenn did. Now, what are you gonna do for week two that takes us a step further? And all of that starts going on in my brain. I had two choices that I could make. One, I could solve that right then and there. Get my computer out. I'm gonna study. I'm gonna write this whole sermon out from start to finish right now so that I can close the book, shut the door, good to go. I didn't have time to do that. It's Sunday night. I didn't even have time for that on Monday morning. I had other things that I already needed to take care of. Is that door just gonna be open for the whole week? No, here's why. I made a choice in that moment to say, you know what, on Tuesday afternoon, I have a meeting with the teaching team and I'll work it out with them there. And then on Wednesday morning, I blocked a slot of time to study and to work on this. And I knew I had a next step in front of me. And the moment I committed and said, that's when I'll work on that, that's when I'll do this, door shut. And all of a sudden I got to go back to being with my family and everybody on a Sunday night instead of having all the things all the time. Really brief practical example, but hopefully it illustrates the point. I wanna make this even more simple for each of us who are here. So I'm gonna give you five steps and you take these in order, by the way. If this is you or if this is somebody you care about, here's five steps that can help you close a door, help you renew your mind. First, if your mind is cluttered, 
don't add to it. And I, I think some of us actually need to hear that. If you're in a space where you're like, I've got all seven doors open, probably not a great time to take your phone out. And I mean that. It's probably not a great time to scroll your newsfeed. It's probably not a great time to get into that moment on Facebook or wherever it is you go, right? It's probably a time to recognize I've got seven open doors. I need to close some, not add more to it. Number two, take an inventory of what your mind is most preoccupied with. If you don't know what an inventory is, make a list. That's all I'm saying. And just think through, what are all the things that are preoccupying my mind? And don't be like, don't be picky about this. Write it all down. If it's this week, if it's last week, if it's happening, whatever the thing is, just write it all down. Be indiscriminate and write a whole list. Put it all there. Some of it you might surprise you where you're like, this is why, this sheet of paper, this is why I feel the way I do. I didn't realize it before. It's right here. This is it. It's illuminating, friends. Write it all down. Oh, and by the way, it doesn't have to be negative. Some of us have cluttered minds because of all the positive things we want to do that we can't get to. <laughs> Some of us are so excited about all the things that we're frustrated about the things that are getting in the way of that and it, like that becomes cluttered too. Write the positive things down too. Third, take what you've written down and put them in order of what's most important to you. Key phrase there is to you. Not what's most important to your parents, not what's most important to your family, not what's most important to your spouse or your best friend or whoever it might be. Remember, you are a soul creature with a unique thumbprint of God that is you. He made you a certain way just for you. This list isn't for anybody else. It's for you. What's most important to you and order them so that you can see, so that you can go, oh, here's, here's what matters most to me. Fourth, decide if this is something you want to address and are capable of addressing right now. A lot of us have great intentions. We're not always honest to what we're capable of in any given moment. That's a huge thing. Decide if this is something you want to address and both and are capable of right now. Not every problem has your name on it. Not every moment needs to be your responsibility at this particular moment in time. And even in the lives of other people, you are not required to set yourself on fire to keep other people warm, right? You got seven doors. You're trying to close them. Decide if it's something you want to address and you're capable of addressing right now. Fifth, fifth thing. Having identified the things that you do not want to address right now, make a plan for when you will choose to revisit them. And do not say later. <laughs> to say later is like saying, door open indefinitely. No, go, you know what, next Tuesday, I'm gonna do this. Next month, this time, I'm gonna put it in the calendar, I'm gonna do that. Next year for some of us, that's when I'm gonna focus on this and I'm gonna tackle that then and I'm gonna address whatever that thing is at that point in time next year. But make the actual plan. It's when you walk through that that you're able to close the doors in such a way that you can stand in the hallway and listen to what matters most. Now, I know some of you are probably listening to this being like, why is this a big old psychological exercise in the middle of a church service? Like what is going on with this? This is so incredibly important theologically, friends. This is a practical exercise that can walk you forward in something psychologically as pertaining to your mind, which pertains to the soul God created you with, so that you can do something very important theologically. Here's why. When you have every door open in your hallway that is your mind, whose voice do you think you're least likely to hear? God's. When everything is hitting you at the same decibel, what's the leading and the leaning of the spirit that you're not sensitive to? Right? 
This is an important practice so that we can do the work of trying to discern what is the will of God for our lives as we step in faith and we try it and we test it and we figure it out so that we can uncover the good that God has for us out of who we're uniquely created to be. It is so incredibly important. I can't emphasize that enough, friends. Amidst the noise, amidst all of it, we begin to lose sight of who God made us to be. And we start just living as a product of the noise. We conform to it as opposed to being transformed from the inside out. This is why we renew our minds, because Paul is right. We either conform to those stresses or we become transformed, friends. When I was a kid, I played a lot of soccer. And I played left wing, uh, so I ran up and down the left side of the field a lot, and I played on a club team. We took it really seriously, we were super competitive, and the only people who took it more seriously than us were our parents, right? I can still remember sprinting down the side of the field, dribbling a ball as furiously as I possibly could with somebody else trying to take the thing from me while I have parents. And some of those parents are yelling at me, not even my parents all the time, like somebody else's parents too, yelling at me, pass the ball. Somebody else yelling, cross the ball. Somebody else yelling, keep going. Somebody else yelling, get rid of it. Somebody else yelling, shoot it. I have seen so many young people lose their minds, stop in the middle of the game, turn to a sideline and say, will you all shut up? And then we all as like, you know, students and players would look and be like, oh, they're going to bad ride home. That's not going to go well for them. But it, I kind of identify with it. It's overwhelming, isn't it? It's pretty hard. You know, as I got older, I noticed something started to happen. I started to recognize all there, there are all still these voices on the sidelines and I could hear all of them, but there was just some I stopped paying as much attention to. And you know what's interesting? I had a coach with a really soft voice. He wasn't a really loud, outspoken guy. Soft voice. He yelled at a decibel lower than most of the parents. And yet as I got older, I found myself, as I'm running down the field, I could hear him. Amidst all the noise, amidst all the chaos, amidst all the things, I could hear him. And it's because over time, I learned that there's certain voices to listen to and certain ones that I wasn't going to allow to be in my moment at that time. And I started to attune what he was saying, and I started to realize there's two voices that really mattered. One was my coach's voice, who was helping to lead and guide me and show me the way that I should go. And the other was my own voice. As I got to be honest to the skills and talents that God gave me with and what I felt like I was capable of at that point in time, and those two things combined made me a far better soccer player. I wonder if it would make us far better at living our lives. I wonder if the illustration from the field is the same thing that most of us actually need for our lives here at this moment right here and right now. Whose voice are you listening to? Start closing the doors in such a way that you can start tuning into what's the soul God's made me with and what's my coach calling me forward to do here, so to speak, and you can trust it and you can try it as you bring the best to your life. Friends, what would it look like if we actually renewed our minds? I can't help but think that not only would it be an absolute gift to our own lives and our own world, I think it would be an absolute gift to the world around us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for our minds. We're not always thankful, if we're honest. It's complicated sometimes but I'm thankful that you gave us the ability to discern and to think and to do meaningful things with it. God, some of our minds are cluttered and we need a little help, Lord. And so I just ask for your wisdom and your guidance. Give us the strength and ability and give us the understanding of what it means to renew our minds. Help us to walk through some of that. If there's fear in the room about any of that, I pray that you quiet that knowing that your perfect love chases it all out. 
If it feels chaotic, I pray for just a special breath of your peace in the life of each person that's here, that we might find our eyes wide open and our minds wide open to see what's in front of us and what we might need to do and what you have for us. And tune us into your voice, Lord, that we might walk with you and live out of the full life of all that you've created us to be. We love you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. On your way, Hot. On your way out, uh, remember what Becky talked about. If you wanna fill out a uh, card as an encouragement, do that. That would be amazing, friends. You make an amazing difference in people's lives, whether you know it or not. Good to be with you. We'll see you soon.